So let's go to Psalm chapter number 72. Tonight will be the last time for a little while that we'll be in Psalms. We're about halfway through the book right now. Psalm 72 wraps up the book two of the five books of the Psalms. So I had this strategized out because Psalms is so long, I figured we'd put a break in there and then get back to the second half after that. I have truly enjoyed Psalms. Uh, I was dreading preaching through the Psalms, um, but when we just kind of started in and just got going, I have just been really enjoying studying it and preaching it, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. But what we're going to do starting next week is uh, we'll be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is a big switch from 1 Corinthians. I I like it a lot more personally. Um, It's all the Word of God. I'm not disrespecting any other parts of it, but some parts of the Bible are a little bit drier than others, okay? Just be honest. The book of Numbers, Chronicles, you know, they're just not that exciting. They're important, as important as everything else, but they're not that exciting. Uh, 1 Corinthians isn't that exciting to me. 2 Corinthians, I absolutely love. Uh, It'll help you a lot in understanding why you go through things in life. Uh, 2 Corinthians is all about the ministry. And in order to have ministry, you have to experience misery. Pressure produces power, but misery produces ministry. You cannot be a good minister unless you know what it feels like to be brokenhearted, hurt, suffer, sick, everything else. And Paul goes through 2 Corinthians and shows us what the ministry is all about. So I'm looking forward to doing that. We'll start that next week. But for tonight, Psalm 72, notice the title, A Psalm for Solomon. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish an abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their blood, shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There there shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Kelly, would you, uh, would you mind praying and asking God to bless the preaching tonight? And also, while you're at it, would you please pray for Miss Ramona specifically? And let's, while he's praying, let's, let's all pray for Ramona specifically. All right. Thank you. Lord, I just want to thank you for being able to 
Amen. All right, notice in the title there it says, A Psalm for Solomon. And then when you go down to the last verse, verse number 20, it says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So obviously we know when we're approaching this psalm that this is a psalm that David wrote as a prayer for his son Solomon. I got thinking about that because Solomon's fixing to be a king. David knows that. Give the king thy judgments. And that's in Solomon's future. But really what this whole passage is about doctrinally, when you begin to peel back the layers of the, of the passage and you uh, understand there's a historical application that was Solomon writing for his son David, but then there's also a doctrinal application. And when you begin to look at the doctrinal application of this chapter, this is talking about the day and the time when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns on this earth for a thousand years. It's the millennial kingdom. It's a time that is not here right now. Uh, they'll say in church, you know, in their church prayers, you know, you know, Lord, help us to bring in your kingdom. And as we're working for your kingdom, look, look, the kingdom of God is here. That is a spiritual kingdom. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of heaven is not here yet. That is a literal, visible kingdom where the Lord Jesus Christ himself sits on the throne in Jerusalem and reigns over this earth with a rod of iron for a thousand years. That is coming in the future, but it's not here yet. This passage not only deals with the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, but it even takes us out a couple of times into eternity. So doctrinally speaking, you're looking at the perfect king sitting on a throne, ruling perfectly, as David writes this thing, instructing his son. As David makes a prayer to God for his son. So what you'll see then, if you look at the layers and you put the historical application together with the doctrinal application, David is essentially saying, God, help my son be like you. I want to preach to you from this passage on following the king. Really, that is what you and I are supposed to be doing if we're saved. To just take the Christian life and boil it down to the simplest points. To just get rid of all the confusion, all the frustration, all the the twisted ins and outs and all the weirdness that goes on when you get around church and you get around religion and just make it as simple as it can possibly be. Your responsibility and my responsibility is nothing more than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ one day at a time, every moment of every day and whenever we don't get it right and get back in line with Jesus Christ. We need to be following our Savior. Now here's what I find especially close to my heart from this passage. It's an old man talking to a younger man. And the old man is trying to help the younger man out. He's trying to give him some advice. He's trying to make a prayer for him. He's trying to tell him some things that will help him out in his life. And I just want to say this tonight. It's been heavy on my heart for a couple of months now. This generation of Christians... I'm talking about the younger generation, you know, the youth group and the 20-year-olds and all that. If you're young enough to be my son or my daughter, then I look at you as the next generation, okay? My heart is so burdened for them. I want to say this because I feel like it needs to be said without being in the moment or the zeal of, of preaching or making a point. I want to say it real calmly. I am so impressed with the kids in this church. You're not perfect, all right? You get a little loud in the wintertime when we're trying to talk and y'all are like bouncing off the walls in here and the building's really small and the old people are like, I just got to go home. I can't take it anymore. 
I'm playing with you. You're human. But I think we got a bunch of really good kids in this church. I, I, I don't know last time I've been, even in a Bible-believing church, where you got kids that are five, six, seven years old that sit in church, and actually when I look at them, they're making eye contact with me. Every once in a while, they, you know, mama has to give them an elbow or slap them in the back of the head or something because you're kids. But I don't know where I've seen kids that listen like you listen in church. I think you're honestly trying. I know that I preach really hard sometimes, and I say, if you go down certain roads, you're a fool. You're an idiot, right? And, and it's true. You do know better. You do know better than to start after some of the things the kids around you are into. And if you make that choice, you are a fool. But I'm not saying those things that way because I'm hard on you or I think you're rebels or I'm trying to beat you up. It's because I really want to see you grow up to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see you follow God. I know how life gets. I know what I've been through and I've had a good life. There are confusions that come. There are disappointments that show up. There are things that don't make sense. Listen, even in a good Bible-believing church, you are going to see inconsistencies among the adults that claim to be Christians that are supposed to be doing right, and you will get hurt in church because you are a sinner sitting next to sinners, and sinners sin. That will happen. And when people disappoint you, break your heart, hurt you, things don't turn out like you thought they would, God doesn't answer a prayer you wanted him to answer, things get confusing and messy, the devil shows up and begins to say, well, it's all not real anyways. Well, if God was just, he wouldn't have let this happen to you. Well, if church was legit, Christian people, I mean, Christians, what kind of a Christian would act like that? A saved Christian, a saved sinner who's still struggling with sin, just like you do. And just like you will. I've had to learn the hard way not to throw too many stones at people. Because it is one thing for me to sit here at 45 and talk about, why wouldn't some 75-year-old drive at night? That's just ridiculous. I ain't never been 75. I've figured out now that when I get to be 75, I might feel the same way the 75-year-old feels, so I'm not running my mouth about a 75-year-old. Right. I had somebody recently just like trashing, you know, like old people and she was such a jerk. I said... Do you know whether or not she just like recently lost her husband? Well, she's just such a jerk. She's just. I said, you don't know whether or not she just recently lost her husband. Do you know whether or not she has arthritis? Like really bad? Do you know whether or not it hurts? Like 80 year old woman. And she's a cranky woman. She's a little bit of a nasty woman. <laughs> I said, do you know whether or not she has arthritis? Do you know whether or not she was up all night last night because she couldn't sleep? Because at her age, that can happen to people. Well, uh, good point. <laughs> Sometimes it's best just to walk away and leave it alone. That's right. You know why? Because you don't know what they might be going through. You're going to see people mess up and do things that are inconsistent. It doesn't make sense. And how could that happen? And the devil will try to get in there and pull you away from Jesus Christ because he will show you everybody else's faults. Kids, he will show you your parents' faults. He will point out, he will make sure you don't miss. Every time a message is preached and something is said, that, oh, that's right, but mom doesn't do that, dad doesn't do that, oh, that's what mom and dad do, and pastor preaches again. He will every time point that stuff out to you. He'll make sure you see everything about your parents 
That falls short of the glory of God. Because he wants to get in there and start driving that wedge and planting those little seeds of rebellion and resentment. And then they jump on you about something and get on your case and start correcting you. And you're like, yeah, well, what about? What about nothing? God's watching you to see whether or not you have the right heart to submit to the authorities that God put in your life and follow the example of King David when he's talking to his son Solomon. Solomon could have said, yeah, dad, what about Bathsheba? Yeah, Dad, what about Uriah? Yeah, Dad, what about Joab? I mean, you know what snake he was, and you got buddied up with him and hooked up with him in the Uriah situation, and as a result, you never exterminated the problem. You kept the problem child right in your camp, and he caused more and more trouble because your dirty conscience wouldn't let you deal with him. Like, what about Joab, Dad? Well, you shouldn't be hanging out with Amnon. With, with, with uh, Amnon had a Fred, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Thank you. Jonadab was his cousin. We'll talk about it Sunday morning. You should, what are you hanging out with him for? What about your inconsistencies, Dad? That's what the devil will do to you. He wants to make sure you don't get the advice you need and you don't follow the truth, and he does it by driving a wedge of rebellion and judgmentalness and resentment, and he tries everything he can to get you out of church. I'm burdened for the next generation. The world is so strong and the pleasures of the world are so strong and the pressure from the world is so strong. I want to see you make it. It's not just the kids, adults. I want to see some of you adults finish. Something is going on in this world around us. Me and Gracie were talking about it on the way here. The spiritual battles are so abundant and they come from so many different angles, and they don't stop. And as you get older and graduate, and your life gets older and graduates, and you pass certain tests, the battle intensifies and comes from different angles. It doesn't stop. We, we have a lot of friends that we know that at one point we're serving God and we're in church and aren't in church anymore. Hey, it breaks my heart to see God's people just giving up on God, giving up on their walk with Jesus Christ, giving up on church, giving up on their marriage, giving up on their children, just letting everything just go to hell in a handbasket. Hey, I want to see you make it, and the only way you're going to make it is if you simplify your life and focus on following Jesus Christ one day at a time. And if you do that, you won't be a miserable Christian. Listen, I want to finish my race. You understand what I'm saying? I want to preach as long as I can preach, and I want to pastor as long as I can pastor without becoming a detriment to the church. If I'm at a point where I'm being a detriment to the church because I'm physically unable anymore, then I want to get out of the way. But as long as God makes me able, I don't plan on resigning. I don't want to resign. It's stuck with me. (laughs) I want to finish, man. You know how you know what else I want to, I want to finish clean. I want to get to the end of my race, to the end of my ministry, to the end of my life and not have done anything to have hurt you, hurt God, hurt my wife or hurt my kids. I'm talking a, a life-changing, testimony destroying, you understand what I'm talking about? I want to finish clean. You know how else I want to finish? I want to finish happy. I do not want to be a miserable old man. I don't want to be one of those people that somebody has to take up for me because I'm such a jerk they can't stand me anymore. I want to finish with joy. You know, the only way to do that is having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ being what it ought to be and following Him. 
Notice in the text we got three things and we're going to, we'll be quick. First of all, you need to follow Jesus Christ because He has good judgment. Look at verse 1. Give the King thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the King's Son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. You know what I want? I want good judgment. Do you know Jesus Christ has good judgment? You realize that a lot of times Christian people don't. You ever been around Christian people that are just judgmental? Talk about the kind that, you know, have to use an umbrella because their nose is so high in the air. If it rains, they'll drown. I've seen them. And guess what? I've been guilty of being one. I don't want to be that way. I want good judgment. This, this, this ridiculous farce of going so far the other way to say that we're not supposed to be judgmental at all. Well, Christians aren't supposed to be judgmental. Well, that's not true. That is not at all true. Do you know as a Christian you're supposed to judge? Go, go with me to a couple of passages. Go over to Romans chapter 14, please. There's a balance to this thing, and you can't just grab one passage, judge not that you be not judged, and then think you have the whole balance of what God's trying to teach us. There's more to it than that. Yes, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. We're talking about the kingdom. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne in Jerusalem, there's a a little bit of a different standard for us. Now, I realize that same passage talks about you having a beam in your own eye. We're not going there for the sake of time. But he's saying, why are you worried about the moat in your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye? A moat would be like a speck of dust. It'd be like a guy was running a saw and a little tiny speck of that sawdust got in his eyeball and it kind of bothers him, right? A beam would be like a telephone pole. And he's saying, you've got, you got a beam in your eye and you're picking on somebody else about the moat in their eye. That, that's, a, that's a judgmental spirit. It's like David that we saw Sunday morning. He's going to slaughter this guy for taking somebody's lamb, but he's the one that he's talking about, and he's alluding to the fact that he took somebody's wife and murdered her husband to cover it up. That's a beam in your own eye, and you're going to judge somebody else over taking a lamb. When it comes to being judgmental, when it comes to judgment, you better be real careful about how fast you pass it out. Most everybody wants to judge other people. We all profile. You profiled me when you walked in. You meet somebody for the first time. Every, every person that's ever come to this church and meet, are you the pastor? Yeah. Some of, you, some, of you, some of them even say, you look taller on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you too. I can bite your kneecaps off. You keep running your stinking mouth. <laughs> You're profiling. We all judge. You can't help it but to judge. You naturally judge. The more you talk about not judging, the more judgmental you are. Man, somebody says, well, shouldn't be judgmental. Shouldn't be judgmental. Shouldn't be. The more somebody says that, the more I'm like backing up. I know what they're doing. They got to hang up about judgment because they're judging everybody all the time. Well, you better be super careful about it. Romans chapter number 14, look at verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. He says, what are you doing picking on somebody else's servant? Listen, I'm talking tonight about following Jesus Christ, right? Are you here because you want to follow Jesus Christ? Is that what you're here for? Do you trust him as your Savior? 
Is he your motive for being in church? Is he why you opened your Bible when I say open your Bible to Psalm chapter 72? Is it because of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary and your desire to get closer to him, your desire to get something from him? That's why you're here, right? Yes, so you're his servant, right. not mine. And, you know, newsflash, it's like, this is one of those awkward statements, but I'm the pastor. It's like when I say in my house, I'm the man around here. I'm like, duh, <laughs> no competition. I'm the pastor, and I got to remember, you ain't my servant. You're a member of my church, but you're his. You can look at somebody else and say, that's never going to work out. It's all going to fall apart. And you might be right, but here's the kicker God judges hearts. So you walk into church and you don't know anybody. You're looking around. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the way they're dressed. Look at the way they're acting. Hey, genius, they just got saved a year ago, and they're 45 years old, and they live 45 years in a world that's a tough world. And that ain't their first marriage. And that's a his, hers, and ours deal. You better stop judging everybody so harshly because you think you know something, but man looketh on the outward appearance, and God looketh on the heart. Well, that's never going to work out. What are you talking about? That's actually God taking a mess and putting it together. (laughs) They're not starting from where you think they're starting from. So you could look at somebody else and in your judgment think, oh, but God is able to make him stand. I'm telling you right now tonight, I'm testifying. Right now, the only reason I'm standing here tonight is because of God Almighty. If it was not for him, I would not be serving the Lord, let alone be a pastor. Are you kidding me? There's no way. It's God that's helped me stand. It's God that's got me through. And if I reaped everything I've sowed, I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be in hell if my back broke. It is God that's got me anywhere I think that I am. Amen. The same thing's true with everybody else. That's right. So you're looking at somebody else's servant and you're thinking this and thinking that and judging this and judging that. But God knows what he's doing in their life and God knows where God can take them and God can keep them standing even when you don't think they will. Listen to me, i got to say this while it's on my mind. It's been on my mind and heart all day, but I didn't put it in my notes. Some of you run into your past, and, and you were stupid. You did some dumb things. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you were a kid. You were lost. You were backslidden. You were whatever it is, and you did some stupid things. And then what's going to happen is when you start serving God, somebody from your past is going to surface, and they're not going to let you forget what you were. Oh, I know you. You know why it's so hard to minister to your family? Oh, I know you. Well, if you could just stop that, <laughs> we could get somewhere. Yeah, they know you. Some of you are able to lead people to Christ like, like I mean, like I can't. It's amazing how, you, I mean, even if you don't get them through the verses, I do all that in the office and all that stuff, but you, you get them in like nobody else. But you can't reach your own family. You feel like something's wrong with you. It ain't you. It's the fact that, oh, I know you. I know your past. I know what you've been doing. I know what you're about. Hey, listen, tell them to shut up and get out of here, man. What I used to be, I'm not anymore, and God's the one that's going to hold me up. Oh, yeah, you're just going to go back. And that might be what you think, but I'm not going back. God can make me stand. That's the devil dragging up your past. That ain't God. 
Verse number 5 in Romans 14, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. How about that? You know what he just said? He said this, In the church, now watch me, listen, I don't have time to run all the references. I wish I did. In the church on non-essentials. Do you celebrate Christmas? Do you have a Christmas tree? None of your business. Did I invite you over for Christmas? <laughs> I didn't think I did. So what do you care? Right. That's a bail bush, brother. I know all the verses. I know all the history. It's a non-essential. One person has one. Somebody else believes you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. Great, knock yourself out. If you think that pleases God for you not to have a Christmas tree, and you think it makes you more spiritual to not buy your kids Christmas presents so that they resent God, the church, the Bible, and everything, I mean, so that you can save money in the budget, then do that. That's between you and God. But it ain't none of your business to be judging somebody else who does celebrate Christmas or does have a Christmas tree. That's between them and God. There are non-essentials that are truly independent. (gasps) We don't all have the exact same standard. Listen, at this church we have the same convictions. A conviction is something you'll die for. But no, I believe every man is the head of his home and that he's under God and that when it comes to little things like that, non-essentials, that's between him and God. That's, right. That's good preaching. The Bible, Brother Lentz told me this years ago, and I never forgot it. He said, religion makes little robots out of everybody. They'll all walk the same way, talk the, hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, brother, hey, brother. They all walk, they got the same lingo, they act the same way, they operate the same way. He said, the Bible will make a rugged individual out of you. The Bible. He didn't say a maverick. He didn't say a rebel. He didn't say an in-your-face jerk. He said, God will make you an individual. He said, look at the prophets and see how different they were. They weren't all the same. Yeah, that's right. But boy, when we see somebody that's not exactly like us, we start getting all judgmental, just obsessed with it. Just try, You know what? That ain't the judgment. You're not following Jesus Christ. He ain't like that. He ain't nitpicking on all the foolishness. Has he been patient with you? Have you been dead wrong and God's waited and took his time and been gentle with you and given you time to figure it out and loved you and blessed you in spite of yourself? Yes. Don't you think we might use a little bit of that kind of judgment? Don't you think maybe some of that should rub off on us? How about this? One of the things about judgment is don't judge too harshly. Another thing about judgment is don't judge too soon. Don't judge too soon. Another thing about judgment, you judge just as harshly as you want God to judge you. Did you see what she's wearing? Oh my goodness. First of all, why are you looking? Second of all, okay, what she's wearing may or may not be right, but what you've been looking at when nobody knows and when nobody's around is worse than what she's wearing. Get the beam out of your eye. You want God to bust you as hard as you want to bust everybody else? Then keep on with it. That's not following Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful about judgment. Look down at Romans chapter 10, uh, 14, verse 10. 
Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The fact of the matter is, is that I'm going to give an account to Jesus Christ for me, and you're going to give an account to Jesus Christ for you. Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to skip some of these other references so we can move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to see this. Now here's the thing about judgment. I've showed you that you shouldn't be too harsh, you shouldn't be too quick, and you ought to be kind of merciful and slow on judgment. Don't ever judge on non-essentials. Don't make non-essentials an issue. Let it go, walk away, mind your own business, and live in peace. Follow Jesus Christ. But look at 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not as, so, as, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and ye have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him. Him that has so done this deed. Paul's judging the individual. Don't judge me. You can judge the thing, but don't judge the person. Really? That's not the balance on what the Bible teaches. Uh, Look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. You know what he said? You got a guy living in the church, fornicating with his stepmom, and y'all know about it. And y'all are, oh, we're just, we're just gracious. Well, this doesn't matter. It's just it's okay. It's just, well, they're homosexual. It doesn't really matter. And the Lord's like, you lost your mind? When you openly embrace sin, open sin, and you embrace that thing, and it's common, and everybody's turning a blind eye and acting like it's not wrong, what are you teaching the kids in the church? He said, no, 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 a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know what you got churches all over this country filled with right now? Leaven. Because preachers won't preach against sin. They won't show you the full, they'll preach, judge not that ye be not judged. So I was like, oh, I can live like hell and go to that church. It'll be wonderful. Nobody's judging me. Hey, listen, that's not at all what the Bible's teaching. It's teaching, don't be hyper-judgmental, don't be self-righteous, but when God nails something down, fornication is still wrong in the Bible. That means if you haven't put a ring on it, you haven't swore before Almighty God and before the church till death do us part, forsaking all others, then you're living in sin. That's Bible. Even if it is heterosexual. Boy, <laughs> we were doing really good. No, we're talking about following Jesus, right? Didn't he say, be ye holy for I am holy? Well, we're all sinners. Yeah, I've been pointing that out quite a bit lately. And I get that. I understand that. And I understand that that means that we have to have grace one with another and that things happen. But when the church begins to embrace open sin that directly goes against the clear teaching, we're not talking about a non-essential. We're talking about something that goes directly against what God has made very clear in the Bible. We are to judge that. Like, I'm not friends with that guy. Why? Because he's a stinking pervert. You know what? I don't even work a secular job. Four times today I heard Jesus Christ's name taken in vain. Four times today. I counted them up because it was particularly offensive after a while. 
That's the world you're living in. You know what? When a guy keeps taking Jesus Christ's name in vain, I'm sorry, I don't like him. <laughs> that, that's my say. I understand he might be lost, but that's, my, that's not my best friend. You understand what I'm saying? I'll try to lead him to Christ. I'll be gracious to him. But eventually I just say, do you know why you keep doing that? I say it nicely. I'm not, I'm not yelling in my veins. Aren't all the stuff that happens while I'm here, right? I say, you know why you keep doing that? The Bible says the lesser shall swear by the greater. And every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. When you see Jesus Christ and you tell him, well, I never knew, he's going to pull that up and pop every time you took his name when you wanted to express yourself as strongly as you could in the moment. The strongest words you came up with was the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something instinctively down in your soul that knows the truth. That's right. But doesn't want it. Boy, you should watch. How come you never say Mohammed? How come you never, you never say, what's the fat guy? Um, Buddha. Buddha. <laughs> I'll tell you why you don't say that. Because the lesser swears by the greater. Boy, God is a God of judgment. And I appreciate him for that. Because he has good judgment. As a Christian, I want good judgment. I don't want to be void of judgment. Parents, you cannot raise your kids if you don't have good judgment. Don't bury yourself in the, your head in the sand and act like they're little princes and little angels and little they might be little fallen angels who know how to become angels of light around you. Ask God for good judgment and then be man and woman enough to deal with it when He shows you. I'm sorry, and I thank God for my children. I'm not picking on them, but I ain't scared of my kids. What are you going to do? Not buy me my groceries? Not pay my light bill? I love them. And I want God to give me good judgment, and I want to face that judgment. Not harsh judgment. Not excessive judgment. Not mean-spirited judgment. Good judgment. You follow Jesus Christ, you're going to figure out he's got good judgment. Back in Psalm 72, let's, let's get going here so we wrap it up. I know some of you drive a long way, and we got more and more coming. From I think we got about four, four or five people now driving at an hour or a little over an hour coming to church, and I want you to come back, so I'll try to let God's people go. Following God means He has good judgment. Something else about the Lord, He's righteous. Boy, I thank God that He's righteous. Look at verse 3. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. Look at verse 7. In His days shall the righteous flourish. And the abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. You know, the righteous, the, the definition of the word is just according to the divine law. Applied to persons, it denotes one who is holy in heart and observant of the divine commandments in practice. Righteous. Holy in heart, trying to do right, and observant of the divine commandments in practice. You know, that's hard to do. My heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's hard. It's hard to observe the things that God says and do them. How about love your neighbor as yourself? Find that easy? How about charity? Suffereth long and is kind, envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, not easily provoked, worketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, and never fail. That's easy? That's not easy. You know who is righteous? Your king. If you're really trying to get to know Jesus Christ like you should, 
If you're, if, you're, if you're honestly seeking Him in prayer every day, if you're honestly opening up that Bible and saying, God, please speak to my heart and show me, teach me, make me more like you. If you're really trying to follow Jesus Christ, you know what you're going to find out about Him? He's righteous. And man, the closer you get to the light, the more it shows all the dirt that's on you. I don't believe in this clean up stuff. Well, I'll come to church when I stop. I'll come to church when I start. I don't believe in that. I don't think any of that works. Quit doing this and quit doing that. Quit doing the other. And so you're not a hypocrite when you start coming to church. Listen, come to church and sit in the pews with all the rest of the hypocrites. Okay? I'm not saying that that's an excuse to live two lives. That's not what I mean. What I mean is a hypocrite is an actor. And we all do that from time to time. You think every time I come here, I feel like being here? 90% of the time, I, 99% of the time, I really do. But there have been times that I'm just like, <laughs> kind of tore out of the frame, but it's time to preach. Right. So guess what I do? I come and I smile and I preach. We're all a little hypocritical. I'm not saying we should try to be. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm saying this. You ought to come, even if you ain't perfect. You ought to come, even if you're struggling. You ought to come, even if you don't feel like it. Because the closer you get to the light, the more you can see the dirt that's on you. And the more you're like, yeah, I don't like that. God, would you get that off? Yeah, God, I don't like that. Would you get that off? You ain't never going to clean up on your own. You kids are never going to make, you are never going to make it against the world you're in. You won't make it unless you're already, I don't care if you're five years old, if you're saved, you better already be trying to draw closer to Jesus Christ. You ought to already have a prayer life. You ought to already be seeing answers to prayer. God can answer your prayers. That's not just for adults. You better start now. I'm talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's what we need, but we all lack it. And as a result of not having it, you have no peace. You see it in verse number three. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills. How? By righteousness. You realize that righteousness brings peace in your life? Sin doesn't bring peace. Sin brings heartache. Sin brings misery. Man, I don't, I don't care what kind of sin it is. If it's drugs and alcohol and fornication, miserable people. Miserable. I don't care if it's just rebellion. You know, teenagers, that ain't really gone down that road yet, but just kind of, just got that. Oh yeah, thrill me, old man. I ain't listening to what the old man says. You're miserable. You ever see a rebellious teenager that's happy? Yeah, you ain't got no peace. You know why? It's because of the sin. That's the reason. Sin destroys everything. It destroys me. It destroys my relationships. It ruins and wrecks everything around me. There's no peace to the wicked. You want to live a miserable life? Just ignore God. Ignore His commandments. Don't worry about doing them. Don't worry about having a holy heart. Just let that dirty little rebellious, critical, nasty, judgmental, mean-spirited, sinful heart. Just let it go. Just feed it. Just wallow in all your miseries, all your injustices. Everything that's ever been done to you and all those nasty people. We've all been hurt. 
You're going to get hurt. So feed it. Enjoy it. Baby it. You know how many Christians I know that just they just they just baby their hurts. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I was abused as a child. Okay, so now you're self-destructing because somebody else treated you wrong. I mean, God, God help you if somebody if you were abused. That breaks my heart. It's terrible. But you're going to self-destruct the rest of your life because of what somebody else did to you. Now you're full of sin and you're full of bitterness and you're full of hatred and you're full of anger. Because you got hurt. Man, I'm telling you, when you start following Jesus Christ and you get close to him and you see his righteousness, it brings inner peace. I've had a lot of problems with people over my life. A lot of people problems. You know what I've found? People problems are always going to be there. There's always going to be somebody else that gets under your skin, bothers you, hurts you, offends you, makes you mad and does you wrong. Always. But when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Peace. That peace comes by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You don't have what it takes. <laughs> I used to always say, hurt me once, shame on me, hurt me twice. Hurt me once, shame on you, hurt me twice, shame on me. Something else I always said that I learned to live up to. I don't get mad. I get even. I lived by that motto. I could do it. I'm not kidding you. In the worst of moments, I don't know how I did it, but I get to where I control myself and say, all right, man. My, my wife would say jokingly now, but she'd say, don't, don't, don't just get scared when he's not mad. <laughs> get scared when he's being nice to you. You know, that, that's, a, that's an absolutely miserable way to live. Always worried about judge, uh, avenging yourself. You know the righteousness of Jesus Christ is I'll lay down my life for my enemies. And I'll walk away from it and I'll just let them do with it whatever they want. Ain't that what he did? Yes. He laid down his life for sinners that hated him and cussed him. And then walked away from it, went back to heaven and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. And just said, do what you will with it. Accept me great, don't... <laughs> I still did it for you. I'm talking about righteousness. I'm talking about a holy heart. I'm talking about a heart full of the love of God. It brings peace. In verse number 7, it brings fruitfulness. Look at verse 7. In those days shall the righteous flourish in the abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. I mean, talk about flourishing. I want to flourish in my life. Listen, I don't care if you got saved at 59 like, like Paul or Lou or if you got saved at five years old. Whatever you got left. Brother Paul used to say it all the time. Man, I wish I'd have got saved years ago. Man, I wish I'd have got saved years ago. Man, I... listen, you can't change any of that. Not one of you. You can't go back in time and change the dumb decisions you made when you were, weren't old enough and mature enough to make the right decisions. And you know how merciful God is? He sits in heaven and he looks at all your past, all your background, the way you were raised, the amount of information you were given and weren't given. He takes all that stuff into account. You can't go back. Not a person here can go back. But you know what I can do? I can go forward. From today, I'm 45 years old. From today, moving forward, I want my life to flourish. 
I have caused enough damage. I've had enough harsh judgments on people, pushed enough people away, been, been enough of a fighter all the time. Every, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with all that. I don't want any more of it. I want to help people. I want good judgment. I want righteousness. I want my life to flourish. That only comes by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If I live it based on Mike Reagan and Mike Reagan's spirit, I'll destroy it. The righteousness of Jesus Christ brings peace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ brings fruitfulness in your life. You young people, mark my words, and I'm almost done, okay? Stay with me. Mark my words. If you will follow Jesus Christ 100%, your life will go places you never imagined it would or could. Just saying. Now, do what you want with it because it's your life. But I'm trying to tell you, the old king, a psalm for his son, he's saying, follow the judgments of God and follow the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Please, please, you'll flourish. But in conclusion, I want to follow Jesus Christ not just because he has good judgments, not just because he has righteousness I don't have, but because he's worthy to be praised. Look at verse 15. He shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. You know, Jesus Christ is worthy to be praised. All of us can, you know, you can find nice things to say about people, but you've got to overlook a bunch of dumb stuff too. Every time you compliment somebody, you also could pick them apart, right? Hey, you can't pick Jesus apart. You can't find one flaw in him. He's never made a mistake. He's never committed a sin. He's never done wrong. He's never overstepped. And he is one day going to rule and reign. In verse number 8, he's going to rule and reign. He's going to have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Man, he's got power to reign. And he's going to take it by force. <laughs> That's cool. You ain't stopping him. You ain't, when Jesus Christ comes to set up that kingdom, nothing's stopping it. He's got power over his enemies. Look at verse 9. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. Do you know why I like that? Because when I serve Jesus Christ, guess what I get? Enemies. When you follow Jesus Christ, you will acquire enemies. There will be people that hate you. They'll talk bad about you. They'll lie about you. They'll put words in your mouth. They'll do, they'll do everything they can to slander you. Just serve them long enough and you'll find out. Just some of you kids start standing up a little bit more in school and get away from some of the crowd you're hanging out with and you find out how many enemies the Lord has. Well, you just let them run. You just let them do what they want. Let them say what they want about you. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ will settle all the scores. You know, some of you don't get recognized, do you? Come on. And Listen, we're human, Okay. You try to do right and you get overlooked. Any of you ever tried to, anybody, any of you ever tried to do right with as sincere heart as you could and been accused of doing wrong in the process? That hurts. And then you watch the injustices, man. You watch the same people just dote all over some idiot that doesn't care and is tearing everything apart. And just, you know, there will be no injustices when Jesus Christ is reigning. When you get to the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, Everything done in the body, he will recognize, he will see, he doesn't overlook any of it.
you got to make sure you're following him and you're not here for the wrong motives and the wrong reasons or worried about who is and who isn't recognizing you and whether or not you are or aren't getting credit. If you're following him, he will take care of you. He is worthy to be praised. I'm telling you, he doesn't overlook his children. He's got power over his enemies. He's got power over the kings of the earth. In verse number 11, Yea, all kings fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And he's got power in his name. Look at verse 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that is a name that is above every name. It's more important than the name of your local church. It's more important than my name, the name of your pastor. It's more important than any name on the planet. It's the name of Jesus Christ. My desire is to follow Jesus Christ. That means if it's little and it's not recognized by people and my name doesn't go viral on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that's where everybody's identity is wrapped up in nowadays. If I'm never famous, but I just pastor this little church on 52909 10 Mile Road, South Lyon, Michigan, and the Lord's in it, and he's led me here, and I followed him here, and he says, this is as far as I want you to go, just do this until I come. If that's what it means for me to follow Jesus then I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a raving success. I'm a happy man living a happy life, completely fulfilled and just overjoyed with what a great God he is. Now look at this. We're done. Watch, watch this. Where's the verse? Uh, blessed be, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. Watch it. Who only doeth Wonderful things. In other words, no matter what you accomplish or become as a Christian, you're nothing. (laughs) You're just another walking, talking, animated dirt ball that God saved by grace and then did wonderful things through. It is only him that does wonderful things. So we've got to divorce ourselves from even our love for ourselves. And any motives or desires that we personally have in our life have just got to die. And the only thing a true God called Christian ought to care about is following his king, walking in his footsteps, getting to know him, acting like him, thinking like him, judging like him, living like him. And praising him. And if you and I'll do that, there is no telling what God could do with a church full of people that'll just lock in on following Jesus Christ and obsess themselves with that and that alone and let the rest of the thing burn down if it does. But it's all about walking with Jesus Christ. That's the advice the old man's given his son. I've always felt like if I can sit down with an old man that's been doing it 20 or 30 years longer than I have, and pick his brain and get him to tell me some things, and be mature enough to grasp what he's saying, and take the advice and follow him, then at 45, you mean I can start acting like I'm 65 at 45? 
Well, I would say it this way. I'd say you'd flourish. If an 18-year-old could get a hold of walking with Jesus Christ and say that it's all that matters, you're going to flourish. And all them other voices around you, picking on you, making fun of you, criticizing you, just come talk to me in 20 years. But none of that matters. It's, what matters is following Him. All right, let's stop there for tonight. We'll, uh, next week we'll get into 2 Corinthians and uh, go verse by verse through that, and then we'll get back into Psalms when we're done. Father, I love you. I thank you so much, Lord, for being such a great king.